The Gospel according to John, chapter 6, beginning at verse 51. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Amen. At our house, we have officially entered the portion of the gardening season where the tomatoes take over. It seemed like such a good idea in the spring to plant nine tomato plants because we wanted to have enough. But now we may have to start dropping off tomatoes at our neighbors' houses late at night and ring the doorbell and run. They do taste good, irresistible. I grabbed a handful of cherry tomatoes the other day at lunch and popped them quickly in my mouth while walking to do something else, and then it happened. A little tomato seed went down the wrong way, and suddenly I was choking. The whole episode lasted less than 15 seconds, probably. But for those few seconds, the world came to a halt. I couldn't breathe. I finally could cough a little bit until I could catch finally a breath, and then I could drink a little sip of water, and within one minute, everything was back to normal. But for those few seconds, I was hyper-aware of my body and of the ordinary act of breathing, something we all do without thinking tens of thousands of times a day, was suddenly all I could think about. Of course, this is a really minor example of how quickly our bodies can change. How swiftly an ordinary act that we never think about twice can become almost impossible. How terrifying it is when we lose control over the things we take for granted. For the past 18 months, we have lived with daily reminders of the frailty of our bodies. Wearing masks, keeping our distance, wondering if our sudden cough or sneeze is a sign of something larger, unsure of how to interact with each other when it comes to hugs or greetings or handshakes. Things we used to take for granted, eating at a table together, singing happy birthday and blowing out candles. Remember when we used to blow on a cake and then pass pieces of the cake around to everyone? We might need to be done with that. Things we used to do without thinking are now risky in ways we never imagined possible. And we're not done yet, not by a long shot. 
In the meantime, we have also witnessed, and in some cases been part of, rising levels of anger and frustration with decisions that other people make about their bodies. The truth is that while we have a great deal of freedom to decide what to do with ourselves, those decisions always inevitably impact the larger community around us. What protects our bodies also protects the health and welfare of others. And what puts us at risk puts others at risk too. There's no getting away from it. I remember over a year ago seeing an illustration about how far and how quickly the particles from our breathing can permeate a space. And it was like the ground underneath me shifted a little and has never quite come back to where it was. To live in this world is a series of risks and breaths, of knowing that things could change at any moment, and yet gratitude and amazement at the resiliency and the strength of the human body. We don't tend to talk a lot about bodies in church, probably for, because for generations, far too many theologians told us that church was for spiritual things, and bodies were just kind of the way our spirits had to get around in the world. But the further we dig into the life and the teachings and the ministry and the activity and the passion of Jesus, the more we can see that for the dangerous falsehood it always was. It was the breath of God which brought our bodies into life. A God who kneeled down in the dust and formed our beautifully imperfect flesh and blood selves into existence. When people were hungry, Jesus didn't lecture them, he fed them. When their bodies were hurting and struggling, he touched them, reached out and healed them. When Jesus, in his own body, walked out of the tomb on Easter morning, the wounds of his death stayed with him. A sign that the scars we all carry, both seen and unseen, cannot stop the love of God from raising us up. Jesus was unapologetically fully human. He laughed and cried. He got angry. He was hungry and thirsty and tired. He grieved and he doubted. He was sweaty and he hurt. He was just as vulnerable to illness and accident and struggle as we are, every single bit. And God would have it no other way. For how else would we be able to get even a glimpse of the love God has for humanity and the world we share. But talking about bodies does get difficult at times, which is part of what Jesus discovers when he tells the crowds who are following him that they need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. The Greek words themselves here are even more graphic. Jesus tells the people to gnaw on his flesh and to ravenously consume his blood. Following Jesus is going to be a bodily experience, not just a thought process. Words are not going to be enough. We are going to have to encounter Jesus with and in our own bodies, whether we're ready or not. 
If you're starting to catch a whiff of cannibalism here, you're not far off. Early Christians were accused of that. And frankly, this passage makes that accusation sound pretty reasonable. Just a few verses after our particular reading for today stops, the disciples themselves flat out say, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? And arguments erupted in the crowd, too, as they tried to comprehend what kind of meal Jesus is really setting for them. Now, some of their struggle was theological. Was Jesus commanding them to drink actual blood? Because if so, that would go against a number of basic Jewish laws and practices. Was he telling them to actually consume him in a literal way? Because that sounded a lot like some Greco-Roman cults, and that would fly in the face of their faith in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But I wonder how much of their struggle was really not about the theology. We humans are good at taking our most complex, thorny, vulnerable problems involving the way we move and live in this world and turning them into academic arguments. The church has been especially good at this, ranging from discussions about human sexuality to the role of women to now debates about getting vaccinated and wearing masks and arguments about politics and policies. We often try to convince ourselves and others that if we could just all think the right way, then everything will turn out fine, eventually. But Jesus keeps bringing it down from the sky and back to the ground, back to our bodily encounters with one another and with God. One writer puts it this way. She says, Jesus, the bread of life, does not give life by arguing theology with us. He's happy to have a conversation, but rhetoric and argument won't sustain us. We need the whole messy embodied experience to chew the body of Christ. We need to feel the steam rising from the loaf, feel the texture under our teeth. Appreciate the flavor that changes as we chew. Feel our hunger subside and our bodies strengthen. Embodiment matters, both for Jesus and for us. Now, there's a word that might sound familiar, embody. And if it does, it might be because it's built into our congregation's mission statement. We are called by the Holy Spirit to proclaim and embody the compassionate, challenging, inclusive love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. For a long time, we've talked about the words proclaim and embody as sort of directional words. So proclaim is an outside word, a word that drives us to publicly announce a God who loves and welcomes and transforms, a God that we join in the work of building justice and peace. And then embody was a reminder that we're also called to care for each other here, to know each other, pray for each other, support one another, to welcome and grow with one another. Proclaim out there, 
embody in here. But today's gospel makes me wonder if that word might carry another meaning too. If it's grounding us in our bodies and the way we live and move in the world, what we do with our hands and our feet and our arms and our legs and our mouths, how we speak and act and decide. The report from the UN this week on climate change is a stark reminder that what we do with our bodies, how we eat, how we get around, how we get energy, how we spend our money, all of that is changing the earth and our experience in it and changing everyday life for a whole lot of human bodies, including our own. Today, we remember that Jesus chooses to be with us in all of this, in the complexity and the anxiety, in what makes us vulnerable and afraid, in the nights when we lay awake wondering what will come next, in the choice to put our masks on and get vaccinated and take precautions, not just for ourselves, but for all the other bodies around us. And probably because Jesus knows how quickly we can forget this, he gave us not an idea or an argument or even really a theology, but the experience of a meal together. Standing up, feeling the, the blood rush back into your feet, moving forward as you hear others around you standing and moving too, walking together and reaching out your hands, and receiving a small wafer, tasting it on your tongue, hearing the music offered as you make your way back and sit down and take a deep breath and feel the texture of your chair. Perhaps then today, what we can carry from the meal and this word is a reminder of how we embody the body of Christ and the bread of life in us. How each breath is another opportunity. Each movement of ourselves is another moment, another chance to proclaim and embody the compassionate, challenging, inclusive love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life for you today. Amen.